Thank you, choir. Let's give God some praise for the choir again. Thank you. Would you join me this morning in the Song of Solomon? The Song of Solomon, chapter 1. And I want to read verses 12 through 17. The Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Solomon is sandwiched between Ecclesiastes and Isaiah. So Ecclesiastes should be to your left and Isaiah should be to your right. If you're in the section of the Bible that has red lettering, you're in the wrong section. In the wrong section. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So here's the word. The king is lying on his couch, enchanted by the fragrance of my perfume. My lover is like a sachet of myrrh lying between my breasts. He is like a bouquet of sweet henna blossoms from the vineyard of En Gedi. How beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful your eyes are like doves. You are so handsome, my love, pleasing beyond words. The soft grass is our bed. Fragrant cedar branches are the beams of our house and pleasant smelling fears are the rafters. Word of the Lord, you may be seen. I've given title to those five verses, the power of praising our partner. Whether the noblest or the humblest of person, most of us enjoy the expression of a compliment periodically. Some need more than others, but at least we can rest in the power that accompanies in the provision of a compliment. We further may concur with the opinion of Mark Twain that, who said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. Some may require more, some can do it in less, but the expression confirms that the words that we share and the phrases that we put together to say unto one another, those words are powerful weapons. They can either bless or curse. They can either build up or tear down. The thesis of this sermon is to suggest that praising our partner, our spouse, our children, our friends with words of encouragement and respect will only strengthen our love and nurture our relationship as we grow further, particularly when we talk about the relationship of marriage. So when it comes to marriage, blessing the other with compliments, genuine compliments, and I want to underscore the word genuine because we don't want the compliment just to appease or to accommodate but we want to compliment with authenticity that when the person hears our compliment, they hear such because we define them in such words. To compliment genuinely is crucial because as creatures we've been created in a way that our emotional and physical needs can only be met through words. A, words of affirmation. We'll learn more about that here in the second, but affirming words. 
you should pay very close attention, not just your spouse or the person you have a relationship with, but people in general. Pay close attention to how and what they say to you. For if they're not words that affirm or build you, you would be very well benefited not to even have conversation with such. You pray for them at a distance, but you don't have to talk to them because if their words don't build you up, those words could very well tear you down. And being the creatures that we are, we need to hear affirming words, words that give us encouragement. We need that because number two, we need to have the acceptance of our intrinsic world. That simply means that the words that I hear, it helps me affirm what I think about myself. So be careful again about what you hear people say, but in the same token, make sure you feed yourself words that affirm who you are. James says to us that when you look into the mirror, please don't be afraid to admit the person that you see, but instead be honest and recognize who you are because it will only give strength into the internal, intrinsic person that you are. And hearing words of affirmation really helps us realize how beautiful, how wonderful, how talented, how gifted, how caring, and how given we really are to human creation. But I need to hear those words, but also I need to tell myself to increase my intrinsic worth. I do that through the idea of encouragement. So I think there's a gospel song that says that you have to encourage yourself sometimes. You have to tell yourself about yourself and you have to say words of encouragement and affirmation to yourself about yourself. And you can't really just depend all the time on what other people say it's helpful, but if you don't hear it, you got to tell it to yourself. So we need those words and in self-encouragement, it helps us. But probably most important is the unconditional love. We need people to appreciate us and to accept us for who we are with all of our flaws, with all of our failures, with all of our visionless life, with all of our mistakes, with all of our innuendos, with all of our false objectives or no listed objectives or goals at all. Still, I need someone to love me unconditionally. Therein lies the reality of how God means so much to us because with all of our loss and with all of our emptiness and all of our lessness, it never lessens the love of God unto us. All the mistakes that we make, all the failures that we encounter, God's love never lessens. Instead, it's only increased. And he accepts us who for who we are. And we ought to be grateful that God loves us just the way we are. So God says, I'm not waiting for you to catch up and to become what I believe you will become in order for me to love you. God says, I love you regardless. Even if you never decide to get there. Now, if you decide to get there, you will get there. But if you never decide that, God says it doesn't lessen my love at all. It will still come to you in the same manner as before. We need the blessings of others, particularly when we are involved in a relationship or in a marriage. We need that constant confirmation and affirmation from the other individual. You think of it this way. If I don't get that, then let me ask myself the question, why be involved? What is the person? And if, that's, if you say because I love them, love them for what? How? Why? Because previously they said something or done something 
that sent the invitation for you to engage in conversation, which ends up being a situation where you become relational, and that is built on the fact that something was said and done that confirmed that you were interested. Take that away, and what do you have? Absolutely nothing. So the language is extremely important. Gary Chapman has written a book called The Five Love Language and it's extremely important. I would encourage you to get you a copy and read it, particularly if you are engaged or if you are dating someone, young men, young women, if you are dating somebody or if you are single and not dating at all and decide that you're just gonna hang out for a while with yourself, read that book because it will introduce you to the physical and the emotional needs of an individual. It will help you realize the importance of recognize five particulars, and I think there are more, but there are five particulars that he highlights in the book. And to make it even exciting, he has expanded that. There are the five love languages for teenagers. And then there are the five love languages for children. Understanding that in Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of need, there are needs in each of us regardless of the age, whether you are in the morning of, the, of your years or even in the evening. Of, and I would contend that if you are in the evening of your years, that means 60 and beyond, I would argue with you that that becomes even more crucial that you have words of affirmation that you experience acts of service, that you engage with someone who gives you quality time, that you end up experiencing the joy of receiving gifts, and that you experience the physical touch. Why? Because loneliness dogs the footsteps of those of us who are in the evening of our years, particularly if you are alone. So get you a copy, read the text, and again, you'll find out that there's those five things, words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, physical touch. But what do they mean, words of affirmation, specifically giving words that praise the others? I'll tell you what I told the 8 o'clock crowd. I know that you're going to contend that my praise is reserved for Jesus. Remember, we're not talking about Jesus in the Song of Solomon. Because this book, in its metaphorical and poetic sense, is not trying to introduce us to Jesus as Savior. It's trying to help us understand what it means to be in relationship with one another. So we're not talking about praising in the sense that you honor God for being the God of your salvation. I'm talking about saying positive, affirming words and praising that other person who makes tremendous worthy contribution to your life and vice versa you do the same that's what he means by words of affirmation quality time quality time means time that is spent with you and I uninterrupted no cell phones no computers no TV nothing just you and I. Set aside time where it's marked. In my premarital counseling, I encourage every couple, get you a date night. If you start to have children, you're going to desperately need a date night. You need a night where it's just you and your mate, your spouse. You just go out and be you. Enjoy the company of you after the rat race of providing life for the family. Quality time. Receiving gifts means that you want a gift not just Mother's Day, your birthday, Father's Day, but you want a gift without being told to give me a gift. You want volunteered, remembered, when you go into the store and you see something that reminds you of your mate, you buy that just because. No, no other reason. Just because. Receiving gifts suggests that I am more to you than just physical attraction. But I need for you to show me likewise in the provision what I mean to you. 
I think most of the women will tell you, you can tell me you love me all you want, but I need to see that you love me from time to time. And we're not talking about the monetary value of the gift. We're talking about the inspiration behind providing and then receiving the gift and receive it with thanksgiving. I'm going to say that again because I think you're not quite understanding what I'm saying. Receive with thanksgiving because remember, uh, whatever that person has purchased may be all they know to purchase. So being in relational is a journey, and if it's a journey, it means it's a journey of maturity. So you can't expect for someone who has 15 years of experience or someone who's got one year of experience to know what someone who's got 15 years of experience. It's not going to happen. That's a rarity. So you grow along the path with one another. That's what makes it exciting. And as you grow along the path, you come to learn what words is needed to be shared to enhance the other person. The acts of service is a suggestion that I do because you've done so much that I think I need to give you not just a break, but to reverse the role. So she cooks all the time, but this time she come home, I've already prepared the meal. Or as I told him humorously this morning, he cuts the grass all the time, but when he comes home this time, you've cut the grass. Of course, the brothers told me, nah, back up on that one. That, that, we, we, don't, we don't want that to happen. Because I may have to go back over to cut the grass again. And so they said, just water the grass. But acts of service, that means something. And then there's physical touch. Physical touch. Physical touch means a hug, close caressing, just to tell and to have that person experience through my expression how much you mean to me. A kiss, holding of hands. I think one of the most remarkable things to do is to see someone who's been married for a long time, 40, 50 years, and still walking down the aisle holding hands. That's powerful. You still hold their hands after 50 years and five children later, and you've put them through college, you've lived long enough to retire, and you're still holding hands. That means a lot. Not just holding hands, and I got on this morning, rubbing her feet. They didn't act like 8 o'clock crowd. I think the 8 o'clock crowd was exuberant when I said that. Washing her feet and then rubbing her feet and oiling her feet and massaging her feet. Man, they went crazy. Y'all just... Yeah, and if you're young, you probably don't appreciate the value of what that really means because it's an intimate expression. Uh, it creates a, not only intimacy, but relaxation, relief. You, you should already know if you visit a podiatrist, if you can get your feet massaged, it relieves tension from top through the bottom. And doing that will create not just the release of the tension, but intimacy between the two of you. And, and may I add again, intimacy doesn't always mean intercourse. And let me help the brothers understand, intimacy is not in the bedroom. It happens before the bedroom. Oh, I forgot to tell y'all that the language in these five verses are a little rated, uh, rated X and a little explicit, and I gotta do just, just a little bit of tapping here and there, but I promise I'll make it plain for you so that we don't uh, interrupt the virgin ears. But we talk about intimacy, uh, we're talking, I'm talking about children. We talk about intimacy, we're, <laughs> we're t of course some adults could fill that role as well. Um, it begins before. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a pastoral privilege. I'm just gonna throw this out there. So 
uh, I would contend, I would believe, and I think I'm going to get a high amen, uh, that no woman wants you to come home and just jump on her. But if you want to romance her, you have to start early. Don't just come home and start funneling all over me and saying stuff. Uh-uh. You got to prepare me. Have you noticed, um, ha have you noticed that good meat is its best when it's marinated long term? A day or two. She said a day. You got to work this out a day or two ahead of time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, because that shows not only patience, uh, but the willingness to allow the momentum to build. I'm going to park that right there. I'm not going to go any further. But you get my point, right? You get my point. We need that. That's the physical touch in terms of the love language that's critical uh, because it helps us to realize the importance of what it means for one to be sensitive and that's what the king does the king in this first chapter is sensitive to the needs of the woman that he loves sensitivity that means that he knows her he's learned all of the ins and outs of her he knows exactly what it takes to gain her attention and most importantly to make her feel like the queen that she is uh, if you are dating someone and they don't make you feel special you got one or two options number one you can ask them what's their problem And you can add an addendum, do you know how? Or number two, two words, bye-bye. Yeah. Because um, if they're not willing to be sensitive to who you are, uh, then when a tragic moment occurs in your life, how do you know they're going to be there? So without a spirit of sensitivity, that means I need to know who you are so that when something is wrong, you don't have to tell me. I already know because I know your entire demeanor. I know your personality. I know what it means that when you smile and when you don't, and I know when you're giving me a half-hearted smile, sensitivity. I know what you like and I know what you don't like. Now, some of this is for married people. I just need to make that clear to you. Uh, got to do the religious thing, married people, then there's some stuff that ain't for married people. The problem is when unmarried people start trying to do married people stuff, you get consequences that the unmarried people can't have because they ain't married. I'm just telling you. Now, I'm not telling you what to do because you're going to do what you want to do. And I'm not going to see you doing what you want to do. But I do know someone who will see you do as you do. And in return, you will get what you get and as a result of that, the consequence could be one that you can't handle. I leave it right there. I park right there as well. I got two vehicles parked so far. I'm not going any further. <laughs> so in knowing, by being sensitive, he verbalizes his love for her. He verbalizes his love and holds a special place in his heart. And he sees to it that everything that she needs to feel comfortable, she gets it. If it's a hug, if it's an affirming word, if it's an act of service, if it's a gift, he makes sure it happens. And so in return, he gets the same response and then we might raise the question, why such behavior? Well, remember, here's a woman whom when we began in chapter one, she began with insecurities and she began with issues of his absence and she began with such because of what her brother said to her in verse six, because they were critical of the color of her skin. Remember we talked about that? How because she was dark, she was considered to be less than and relegated to serving in the field. 
So now she needed to hear words of affirmation that would renew her mind and refocus her to know how appreciative she really is. She needed someone to bless her or to praise her for who she was. And I highlight that point because I know sometimes, you know, when we've been married for a long period of time, and let's just say after four kids, she might gain 20 pounds. But listen to me. Even if she gains 20 pounds, she's the same woman that you had those four kids with. And although she may have changed physically, might we add you gained 40 pounds? And remember we talked about earlier unconditional love? Not based on what you were or what we were 30 years ago. But after 30 years of marriage and four kids and a house and if you're in the military, serving in the military, if you had a long career and we may gain some weight, that's fine. We want to work at keeping ourselves healthy, but don't judge your spouse based on physically how they look. Praise them. Appreciate them. Understand who they are. Listen. We are not going to look the same. Most of us are not going to look the same 50 years later. All of those robust muscles, all of those lifted breasts, all of those plumped cheeks, it will all change. Time. Age, stress, you change over time. It's going to happen. And to look for someone else in a, listen, you know what they say, the grass always looks greener on the other side until you get there and realize once all of the stuff comes off, here we are again. It's in the text. It's in the text. Watch this. You're going to see it right here in the text. So what does he do? He knows it's important that he blesses her, praises her, affirms her, and tell her that she is the best there is. So number one, Solomon is specific about his praise. Look what he says in verse 9. He says to her, after hearing what her brothers have said about her in verse 6, verse 9, he tells her, you are exciting, my darling. In other words, you are gorgeous. You are fine. I accept your dark skin. I love you for who you are. All your curls. All of what you are, I accept that. All of me loves all of you. I take you for who you are. Look at, and he tells her how special he is when he uses the words, my darling, or some translations, my love. I told him this morning, it's always good to give your boo a nickname. Because when you relay that nickname, it reminds you of why the name is there in the first place. And she needed to hear that. Listen to what he calls her, my darling and my love. Personalize it so to the point where he makes her not only feel special, but in the remaining seven chapters of the book, he says this very phrase eight other times which suggests that he is constantly reaffirming in her how critical he is or she is in his eyes. And what makes this passage so interesting is it's a dialogue. It's as if she makes comments about him and then he makes comments about her and they are actually tussling back and forth, creating the tension. And as I discovered through all of this, there are evident present the five love languages that we talked about from Chapman's book. They're right here in this text. And so he highlights to tell her she's not only special, but look at what he says in verse 10. He also tells her that you are beautiful. 
Look at verse 10 and verse 15. Verse 10, he says, how lovely are your cheeks, your earrings set them afire. Listen to what he says. When I look at your face and then when I look at how your jewelry accentuates your beauty, I am so excited. See what it says? How lovely is your neck enhanced by a string of jewels. One passage says, one translation says, how it is enhanced by the string of pearls. How it brings such beauty. Which says to me that she has been adorned with jewelry to bring out her beauty. And that's the reason why every now and then you ought to praise your spouse, your mate, by buying something special that just reminds you of him or her. Uh, I said this morning that it, it would be so wonderful, I think, to buy 18 karat, 24 karat gold necklace and have her name or his name engraved on it. And I think someone thought that was quite exquisite or quite extreme, I should say, not exquisite, extreme. But I think, remember, uh, when someone means that much to you, you'll work it out. You, you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. And that's what he does. He tells her how, look at verse 15. He tells her, he says, you are beautiful, my darling. Look at your eyes. I'm going to get it right this service. Your eyes like doves with the twinkling in them. They laughing because at 8 o'clock I said, your eyes are like doves with a twerk. And I, I had to back that back up. I realized I had said something that just... Twinkle. Twinkling. Not a twerk. Although if you handle your business, well, okay. <laughs> so he says in verse 10 and 15, how beautiful she is and how jewelry. Uh, I still believe diamonds is a girl's best friend. I, I still believe that. It says something when you drape her in beauty and when you accentuate her beauty with a special appearance. And so he, he's specific about his praise. He tells her how special she is. He tells her how beautiful she is. And then he says he's sacrificial in his praise. Look at verse 11. Sacrificial. Now in the previous verse, words of affirmation, love language. In this verse, verse 11, of service. Look what he says. He says, we will make for you earrings of gold and beads of silver. I will find a way to make sure that you have what makes you look the way that you desire to look. Because I want you to always look beautiful. Always. Now, this, this is just me. Don't don't follow me down this path because you may not have the same feeling I have, but Miss um, Murphy, loves, she likes to shop. She, she loves to shop. <laughs> but I don't mind. Because wherever she goes, I want her to always look good. And she always does. She's very particular about what she wears and how she wears it. And I tell her how good she looks in it, and, and she has clothes. <laughs> I know it. I just sometimes, I, Bar Barbara, wh why? What? Come on, baby. Oh, that's, that's what she tells me. They're different. That's not the same as the one over there. Same pattern to me. I, I don't see much. They're not the same. Shoes. 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 Brothers, you give us three, maybe four pairs of shoes. We set. 
girlfriend got a shoe for every color, every occasion, uh, every style, flat shoes, slingbacks, pumps, uh, yeah, they're all different boots. Uh, I'm, but you do you, baby. You do you. Because I want you to look good everywhere that you, 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 you do you, baby. And you have to affirm her like that. Now, the roles are reversed. She does the same, because I think I told you before from Ephesians, whenever you're telling her that you love her, she's going to always tell you back, but you never see in the Bible where it tells a woman to love her husband. Never happens. It's a reciprocating experience because it's a love action. When you give her acts of service, she's going to love you back. And notice what the text says. The text says in verse 11, notice what he says. We will make for you. Who is the we? And the we might I suggest is maybe he may not be that astute in terms of how to pick out various elements that would enhance his booze beauty so he consults with someone. Ain't nothing wrong with consult with somebody. There are people who make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year being a clothing consultant. But call, hey look, I need to get her X, Y, Z. I need to get him X, Y, Z. What do you suggest? What kind of man is he? What kind of woman is she? What do they wear? What's their personality? What's their demeanor? What color hair do they have? What color eyes do they have? What do they normally wear? And the list goes on. But yet narrowing it down to some specifics. That's important. It's right there in the text. That's why he tells her, he says to her, I'm willing to sacrifice. And not only that, he is even specific in his sacrifice. We're going to make you earrings of gold and beads of silver. And then look what he says. We are also going to be sincere in giving. Look what he says. Receiving gifts. That's what he's insinuating, inferring love language. I'm going to give you because I want you to have it. Never give a gift under conditions. The worst thing you could do. Never give a gift under conditions. Because I think when you do that, you begin to develop a habit. For example, I have to do it because it's Mother's Day. Really? What about the other 364 days of the year? See what I'm saying? Why does it have to be a condition? Why not unconditioned? Once again, why not just because? I really believe we relieve ourselves of a lot of pressure if we stop allowing ourselves to be roped into societal expectations. So you have to do this on this day, and you have to do this on that day, and you have to do this in this season. If you don't, She's going to be mad. Now, I will tell you one thing. What you don't want to do is forget, uh, particularly for marriage, we don't forget your wife. Well, the husband may not, be that, may not be that detrimental, but don't forget your wife's birthday. Whatever you do, you want to fight? No, you want an attitude? Oh, you can get, I've never experienced it. I'm, I'm going to remember that day. But there's some things you just don't want to do. Cut you off, you forget my birthday. I mean, cut you off. I, you, you read through the lines. I mean, clip, clip, snip, gone. But he's sacrificial. In other words, plan. Plan. To bless her life. Plan to bless his life. Plan. I have a friend who blessed her husband with redskin stuff. He, he's a redskin fan and she 
draped his man cave with all this red skin stuff. Just everything you could think of, cups and, and jerseys and, and just everything. I'm sitting there thinking, my God, man, you love a sport team that much? But that was her sacrificial giving to him. Took all her bonus checks. <laughs> we said sacrificial giving. I, I, I know what that means for you, all right? She said, what? The third thing Solomon does is he provides a, a sensuality in his praise. So there we begin to listen in verse 12. Uh, the text says, yet from the woman's perspective, that the king is lying on his couch, enchanted by the fragrance of my perfume. In other words, it says that she is moved to respond to the loving overtures that Solomon had given her in the previous verses. Now, in her own mind, she is imagining seeing the king sitting on his couch, yet mesmerized by the fragrance that she has uh, illuminating from her body. And that suggests to us that you don't want to wear cheap cologne or perfume. But you want it to be the good stuff. Now, how do I know that? Listen to her next line. Uh, my lover is like a sachet of myrrh lying between my breasts. Now, there, there is the rated X kind of language, but here's what it says. I'm going to give you what the word myrrh means, but here's what it's saying. He means so much to me, and the fragrance that he carries in his own life reminds me of the fragrance that I carry around my neck attached to my heart between my breasts. It, it's, not, it's not a sexual overtone, it's a statement of sensuality. That simply means that I am so engaged in being close to him, intimacy-wise, that I can feel his presence even though he's not here. That's how deep that passage is. Look at her next line, verse 14. He is like a bouquet of sweet Hinnom blossoms from the vineyards of Engeti, which is nothing more than a 10-foot plant that breeds forth white and yellow roses that gives off an incredible smell. She measures, she measures his presence based off of that smell. But her smell, look at verse uh, 12 again, her smell has caused him, I like this translation, enchanted that means he is mesmerized weakened by the fragrance that comes from her body and so what happens is the myrrh is a type uh, of extraction from the tree and what they do is reduce it to a liquid form that it might be put in the bottles and sold later but probably it is also in her case created in a solid form like a cube that you run a string through in the form of a necklace and put it around your neck and her body chemistry reacts to the perfume. And as a result, it spews out. And good, good perfume, good cologne, when you walk by, it leaves a trail. It leaves a trail. You wonder, what is that smell and who has such good smell? There it is. Right here is what he is saying. I saw that, he says. And she says, when I put this on my neck, it travels to enchant him. Now look what he says. She, in return, comments to him. Look at verse 16. You are handsome, my love, pleasing beyond words. Now, let me tell you a little bit about brothers. We need affirmation, too. We need to hear words uh, that will help us eliminate our insecurities as well. 
And we need to hear that we look good in our clothes and our suits. We do a great job. Uh, as much as I hate cutting grass, I hate cutting grass. I hate it, but I, don't, I hate it. But I don't hate it bad enough to pay somebody else to do it for me, but I hate it. But my wife always comments on how good of a job I did, but I hate it. I despise cutting grass. I hate it. And I haven't brought myself yet. Actually, I don't have a big enough yard to bring myself to buying a, lot, a riding lawnmower that has the baskets on the back that collects the grass. My, my, my yard just, you know, I think you need a big yard to do that. And so I have to, I have a lawnmower that has the, the bag on it, but that means when the bag gets full, I got to stop, go dump the bag out and come back and start all over again. Then once I'm done, I gotta come out and blow all the excess grass off the sidewalk and it gets on my neighbor's driveway so I gotta blow that out too. <laughs> then I gotta go around back and cut the yard in the back and then I gotta cut excess trees, which I hate to do. But Barbara always said, baby, you did a good job. That looks so good. And I feel like, shoot, I might go into business cutting grass. <laughs> It's just a thought, though, trust me, it's just a thought. <laughs> but she gives him that. She tells him that you are so handsome, my love. There she go with that nickname thing, my love. That she tells him you are pleasing beyond words. Now, the deeper side of this text is the more sensual side. But she's thinking about the love connection that they have, and he needs to hear that affirmation. But it suggests something has changed in her. What changed in her? He made her feel brand new again by simply giving her words of affirmation. Look how she closes the text. She says that the soft grass is our bed. The fragrant that might highly suggest every now and then you might want to take your boo out for a lawn lunch. Lunch on the grass. Go in the park. Take you a good lunch and glass, a couple glasses and a bottle of wine. Y'all just sit there and enjoy the beauty of the day. Special. Okay, I know that's a little deep for some of y'all. Okay. Fragrant cedar branches are the beams of our house and pleasant smelling fears are the rafters. In other words, there may be a possibility that she's looking up uh, either in proximity or exactly there looking at the construction of the house of abode and recognizing the strength of the cedar wood and the presentry of the rafters and comparing her man to the strength that those rafters and that cedar woods and those beams resemble. Stability, sternness. Praising him to let him know he means that much to her. I'll close with this statement. Be careful when you decide to avoid not to say affirming or praising words to the other, somebody else will. And they may say them well enough to deter them from that commitment of loyalty to you. Verse 14 suggests that he and she asked for quality time together. I strongly believe that, and you need that, that uninterrupted presence before each other. But verse 17 and 16 tells me about that physical touch that affirms the importance of understanding love languages. None can compare even with this analogy of Solomon, as Jesus did. 
For Paul says in Ephesians 5 that Jesus, in the sacrificial giving of his life, was a sweet-smelling savior unto God. An aroma, says Paul in 2 Corinthians, I believe it is, that whenever God, through Jesus, begins to inhale the work of Christ, it's an aroma that excites the salvific gestures of God for humanity. And it's right here in the text, even as, we'll see it more when we talk about in chapter 2, how Jesus becomes the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. He becomes the bright and morning star. And in this text, Solomon argues from the standpoint of recognizing that this lady who is extremely important to him is the very one whose aroma causes him to sacrificially give and go far beyond. And remember what Jesus said, no man lays down his life for another like I did. All because he loved me that much unconditionally that he was willing to exchange his aroma of divinity for a moment on the cross where he's crucified and yet come back to claim his glory on early Sunday morning. And that is God's way of telling us through Solomon, you can do the same with one another. Remember Jesus' high commission to us, two laws. Remember the lawyer asked him, what, what do I do? What rules do I follow? What rules should I keep? And Jesus says, well, there's two of them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. But rule number two, love your neighbor as yourself. If you took out your shovel and dug deeper into that text, you'll see the reflection of Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, when God tells that a man will leave and then cleave and they become one. It's a relational kind of thing, and that's what Jesus is trying to underscore, and that's what this text is underscoring. When you talk about being relational, understand what the other person needs and what your needs are. And you can't do that until you invest in finding out who the other person is. And Jesus was willing to find out who I was when he found us where we was. And by doing so, he lifted us to a new state where Romans 8 says that we are heirs of God and short heirs of Jesus Christ. That's because of the relationship that God wants to have with us. So you know genuine love because in all of our failures, we're still loving. And with all of our regress, we still find the other person pulling us that we might progress. And no matter how deep we fall, that hand reaches, but also it gets down to where we are to help us get back up. That's why couples find their most productive presence when they look and see who they are in the person of Jesus. Because they see God manifested through his son and the reality of who he is with the help of the Holy Spirit that enables us to know how to praise the other and not replace Christ with the other. Father, thank you for the word. Bless us now, enhance us as we seek to grow in the word.